Jacob has been a self-reliant schemer all of his life. In fact, even before he was born, Jacob was a schemer. As he's traveling down the birth canal of his mother, Rebekah, he's already schemingly grasping at the heel of his older twin brother, Esau. I mean, some people are just born with schemability. The power of deception, cleverness, scheming. Jacob may be proof that we are, in fact, born with original sin. And the, the scheme ability that would mark him early on would define his life for a long time. If you read Genesis, you'll see this. Genesis 25, uh, Jacob schemes the birthright from his older twin brother Esau. You remember the story. Uh, uh, Jacob uh, is at home. Esau's out hunting. He comes in famished. He is starving. Jacob has made some stew. Esau wants some of the stew really badly, and Jacob kind of puts it in front of his nose. I'm just kind of reading into the story, kind of tenting him with it. And Jacob says, I'll give you some stew if, Esau, you give me your older brother birthright. The birthright was a big deal for the oldest son because it meant that when dad died, Isaac, uh, that the lion's share of the inheritance would go to the oldest son. That was the birthright blessing. And Esau's so hungry, he actually gives up his birthright for some stew. Jacob schemes the birthright from out from under his brother's nose. Well, he schemed the birthright from Esau in chapter 25. In chapter 27, he schemes the blessing from his father Isaac. Isaac is old, blind as a bat, and about to die. And he wants to bless his oldest and favored son Esau before he passes. And so he sends Esau out. He says, go get some wild game. Go hunt something. Get it fresh. Prepare it the way I like it and bring it to me and I will bless you. While he's out hunting, Jacob schemes up a plan. He makes some wild game, disguises his voice to sound like Esau, glues some animal hair on him because Esau's hairy. And he goes in and he tricks his father Isaac into thinking that he, Jacob, is actually Esau. And Isaac pronounces the blessing on Jacob, thinking it's Esau. Jacob is two for two in scheming. He has schemed the birthright from Esau, his brother. He's schemed the blessing now uh, from Isaac, his father. He's two for two. And those of us who love food, beware, because Jacob seems to use food a lot to trick people. Well, then he goes to his next of kin. He's already tricked his brother. He's already tricked his dad. Now he's going to trick his uncle Laban. Genesis 29. It looks like actually Jacob has met his match. Uncle Laban pulled a few Jacobs on Jacob, actually. In chapter 29, for example, uh, Jacob is in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. She's beautiful. And uh, Laban says, okay, if you work for me seven years, I will give you my daughter, Rachel. Jacob worked seven years, but it seemed like only a few days for him because of his great love for Rachel. But then Laban 
pulls a Jacob on Jacob, and gives Jacob not radiant Rachel, but his older daughter, lackluster Leah. <laughs> and then he says, okay, if you want Rachel, you've got to give me another seven years of labor, 14 years of labor total. So it looks like uh, Jacob has met his match, but at the end of the day, actually, Jacob leaves with the best of the flock from Laban. He's three for three. Schemed the birthright from his brother Esau, schemed the blessing from his father Isaac, schemed the best of the flock from his uncle Laban. He is so good, he is so clever, he's so skilled, he's so savvy, he's, he's, he's a great schemer, he's actually so confident, arrogant, that he thinks he can actually scheme God. Listen to this, Genesis 28, listen to this schemer. Jacob made a vow to God, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, if God does all these things for me, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, God, I'll give you a tenth. What a schemer. Leon Cass, a Bible scholar, notes that it's precisely because of his enormous talents and skills that he's tempted toward the all-too-human proclivity to forget about or ignore God, viewing himself as his own sufficing source. He's flying solo. He doesn't need anybody, Jacob. He's got savvy, he's got smarts, he's got skill, he's got schemability. He's singing with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. And he's getting by. He's got religion, but he is still the center of his life, around which everything, including God, he thinks, revolves. What a schemer. And life's going pretty well for Jacob. So far, so good. But in Genesis 32, he's about to run into his brother Esau again. It's been 20 years since he's seen Esau, since he's schemed the birthright and the blessing from his brother. So they're about to meet up. But it's no big deal. He has schemed his way past Esau before he'll do it again. I mean, let's face it. Esau is not the sharpest knife in the kitchen. And so Jacob has a plan. He has a scheme. Genesis 32 is going to be our main text. So if you have your Bible, turn there. Genesis 32, beginning with verse 3. Here's Jacob's scheme to get, once again, past his brother Esau. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Sire, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, Male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord, you Esau, that I might find favor 
in your eyes. You see what he's doing? He's counting on the blessings from God to get him past Esau. He's more confident in the blessings than the blesser. He never stops to pray. Why should he? He's got everything he needs to scheme his way out of this mess. He's so confident, so arrogant, putting more confidence in the blessings, confidence in the blessings than the blesser. I mean, Esau's out for bloody revenge, but no big deal. No big deal. Well, let's pick up the story in verse 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. Oh, and by the way, 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob devises another scheme. He divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well into two groups. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Esau is out for bloody revenge. He's not waiting for Jacob. He's actually coming to meet Jacob, and 400 fighting men are with him. Jacob has run out of scheme. He's flat out of it. His scheme ability has taken him far, but not far enough, because now he's facing an Esau that no amount of cleverness and creativity, savvy, skill, and smart will help him get past. He is dead in the water, and he knows it. And he has a decision to make. Either he will do what he's always done and try to schemingly grasp for a heel, or or he can humbly grasp for a hand, the hand of God. What will Jacob do? Jacob is the poster child for Israel. Actually, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, which will become the name of the Jewish people, the Israelites. And the person Jacob and the uh, the person Jacob who became Israel and the nation of Israel are have a lot in common when it comes to scheme ability. Both of them were prone to put more confidence in the blessings than the blesser. The stuff that came from God instead of the presence of God. Think about Israel. Uh, So many times they were faced with an Esau, an Egypt, an Assyria, a Babylon. And oftentimes, when faced with those obstacles, they could have done the same thing as Jacob. They They could have put more confidence in the blessings or reached out to the blesser. And so many times they started to put more confidence in the blessings from God. They trusted their army or their king or their political alliances or their temple or their land or their Jewishness. And when they did, they came undone. They were destroyed. And Jacob is also the poster child for Christians 
who have a tendency sometimes, at least I do, to put more confidence in my scheme ability than the presence of God. And then God will raise up an Esau. That's way too big for me, way too big for us, but not too big for him. And in that moment, we have a decision to make. What will we trust? Who will we trust? Will we trust our income, our savvy, our education, our resume, our relationships, our house, our car, our kids, our dog? (laughs) Happens all the time. Where we become more enamored with the blessings than the blesser. For example, we're lonely and we pray for God to give us Mr. or Miss Wright a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife, and then God blesses us with that gift. And what happens? We begin to put more confidence in the blessing than the blesser. We begin to idolize the gift. We find ourselves financially uh, struggling, and so we pray to God for meaningful work through which to make money, and God blesses us with meaningful work, and we make money, And what happens? We're tempted to put more confidence in the work and the God who gave us the work and the job and the money that comes from it becomes an idol. We pray for skills and abilities to get the job done, skills and abilities we don't have, and God gives it to us. And if we're not careful, we can go about doing the work he's called us to do, actually detached from him, putting more confidence in the gifts and skills and abilities he gives us than we put in him. And then an Esau. Thank God for Esau's. Esau's show us that our skin ability will only take us so far. You ever feel like you're on an elevator pressing the 10th floor button and you're only able to go as far as floor three? You ever feel like that in life? I do. You ever feel like you hit the limits of your scheme ability? You can tell your kids, for example, until you're blue in the face about the importance of Jesus, but you can't make your kids follow Jesus. You can acquire possessions and pleasures, but you can't make yourself content. You know what it's like to face an Esau? An addiction you can't lick? An illness you can't heal? A person you can't make love you? A depression you can't escape? Do you know what it's like to hit the limit of your scheme ability? Jacob knows what it's like. What will Jacob do when faced with an Esau that he cannot escape? What do you do when you hit the limit of your scheme ability? 
Well, you do what Jacob did. Look at verse 9 in chapter 32. Finally, finally, Jacob the schemer begins to get it. Finally, he spent his whole life in self-reliance, but now it's time for him to declare his dependence on God. Here's what we read, verse 9. It saved his life. Then Jacob prayed. Oh God, my father Abraham, of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only a, my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. (laughs) Then Jacob prayed, moving from self-reliance to God-dependence. Then Jacob prayed. It's as if Jacob finally wakes up and realizes that His life is blessed not because of his scheme ability, but in spite of it. That he's blessed not because of what is in him, but because of what is in God's heart toward him. That the best things in life that have happened to him and will happen to him are totally outside the scope of his scheme ability and fully reliant upon the grace of God toward him. Look at that model prayer of a transformed schemer a little more closely. Notice he makes a praise for the past. I love that. He says, when I crossed the Jordan, I had nothing, nothing. And now look at me. I've become two camps. Praise for the past. And then he has a plea for the present. Verse 11. Save me now from the hand of my brother. After the plea for the present, he has a promise for the future. He's focusing on God's promise. He's banking his life on God's promise for the future. Verse 12, you said, God, this is your promise. I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Praise for the past, plea for the present, promise for the future. A model prayer of a transformed schemer. Jacob is the poster child also for grace. If grace is getting what you don't deserve, then Jacob is the poster child for grace. I mean, Jacob keeps deceiving He keeps tricking. He's so cunning and clever and, let's say, sinful. And God keeps blessing him. And I want to say to God, stop. Don't bless Jacob. He doesn't deserve it. And I realize I don't either. And it's this wonderful, beautiful thing called grace. Getting what you don't deserve from God.
As I reflect upon my life, I realize that God's grace is on the most profound pages of my life story. The best things that have happened to me, and I would bet my life have happened to you, have been totally outside the scope of your scheme ability and fully reliant upon grace. For example, think about your conversion to Christ. I've given you snippets of my story. I won't bore you with any more. Let me just tell you real quickly. Uh, I told you, I was uh, uh, dead in the water. High school dropout, alcoholic. Both of my parents had heroin addictions. I was dead. I almost died uh, getting in a drunken fight, got stabbed, almost lost my life at the age of 17. We were dead. And no amount of clever scheming could have gotten me out of that mess. No matter how many self-help books I would have read could have saved me. I'm telling you, I was dead. And God swooped in through Christ and did for me and my mom and my dad what we could have never done for ourselves. I think about my relationship with Amy, my wife, of 21 years. I was a senior at Houghton College in New York, and I had the... Uh, uh, if I don't find a Christian wife at this Christian college where women outnumber men three to one, uh, I will never find a wife jitters, okay? <laughs> and so I started to date this girl named Abby who was not right for me. I knew it. She knew it. Uh, both of us were a wreck. <laughs> and I remember one day being on my knees praying, which didn't happen often in college, but I was praying. And I I sensed God saying clearly to me, clearly. It wasn't audible, but it was clearly to my heart, like kiss, dating, goodbye, you know. And so uh, God was saying, grow in contentment with me. Make me your first love, and I will make you so deeply content you don't need a woman to make you content. And so I went to Abby, and I did what guys do at Christian colleges. I told her God told me to break up with her. (laughs) She laughed, walked away. She wasn't that affected by it, honestly. And I did. I grew in contentment with God. I mean, he was, he was my love. And while I was seeking God, guess who I found? Amy. I wasn't looking for her. I wasn't scheming for her. In fact, she is so discerning and spiritual that if I would have tried to scheme my way into a relationship with her, she would have been scared away. It's grace. The birth of children is a grace, Right? I have friends who, who don't have that grace. So I know it's a gift. We know how it happens, right? I mean, we, we know the birds and the bees, but we can't, we can't conceive. And then with our kids, you know, we had a boy-girl boy, which was the exact birth order I wanted. You can't scheme that stuff. Only God can make that happen. I told you God sent me to a church in Pennsylvania that had five pastors in ten years. They put the fun in dysfunction. They were a mess. And I tried for years, first few years, to scheme, to use my skill and my savvy and my smarts. Crickets, nothing. I couldn't turn that church around. A few years in, while we were already demoralized, uh, our one of our, my second chair, so the, the assistant pastor, right-hand man, had an affair with a married woman in the church. 
I thought this is the end. You can't scheme a congregation demoralized like that back to health and vitality. That's an Esau. But I watched that congregation refuse to schemingly grasp for a heel and humbly grasp for the hand of God. We just started to pray because that's all we knew how to do. (laughs) And God showed up and did for that church what we could not have done for ourselves. And he turned that congregation around. It's grace. You ever feel like your life is a wave being carried by an ocean of grace almost too powerful to resist? Lakeview Wesleyan Church, we are facing an Esau. It's called transition. And the experts say that in a season of transition, a congregation will typically see a decline in attendance, a decrease in giving, a diminishment of vision and vitality, that disunity and disruption will rule the day in the midst of a transition. And when faced with that Esau, we as a church might be tempted, I will be, to do some scheming, to use my my smarts, skill, and savvy. Or, or, we can humbly grasp for the hand of God through prayer. Showing God we are declaring our dependence not on ourselves but on him. Then Jacob prayed. Then Lakeview prayed. If we lean in as a church to this 40 days of prayer, I believe wholeheartedly that Lakeview Wesleyan Church will have our best year. Because God is here. It's not because you're here, as great as you may be. And it's certainly not because I'm here. But if we prayerfully seek the presence and power of God, he will pour it out upon us because his love for this church exceeds even our love for her. Do you believe that? I do. So, let's declare our dependence upon God. Would you pray with me? Let's praise God for the past. Would you think about the past Esau's this congregation faced? Some of you have been here a long time. One of you I met is like was born into this church. Several of you were in that boat. Think about the Esau's that this congregation, by the grace of God, overcame in our past. Think about the heritage, the legacy. Legacy. Praise God for the past. Spend some time doing that. For past Esau's, he helped you overcome.
Go ahead and name those situations, those Esau's. Let's not be like the ten lepers who were healed and went away and never gave thanks. Let's remember the miracles we've seen. God, thank you for the past Esau's you overcame in the life of this congregation. And now would you offer a plea for the present? God, save me now from the hand of my brother Esau. God, be with us in this season of transition. Pray, pray. We need you, God, we need you. Bless our search committee. God, help us by your grace, not by our scheme ability to defy the experts who say that churches will struggle in transition. (laughs) By your grace, we can thrive and we will thrive by your grace. We'll become more unified than ever. We'll become more focused on building your kingdom than ever. You are here. Now think about the promise for the future. Some promise God has made to you through his word in this season of transition. Bank on it. Hold on to it. Recite it like a mantra in your head. What's the promise God has given you? for promising, Lord, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Thank you. God, we give ourselves to you. With Jacob, we pray. Amen. Now we have a chance to put our money where our mouth is and declare our dependence upon God by giving him what he's already given us and asking him to multiply the bread and fish of our offering to be used to bring kids to saving faith, teens to saving faith, and adults to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me and sing as we give to the Lord? Receive the words of Christ as a promise you can bank on. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be open. That's a promise you can bank on. Go in his peace.